Well, you've been on the road traveling and doing all kinds of stuff. You've kind of been a little bit everywhere. Uh, now you're you're back in the studio to do another podcast. Uh, how have things been going? Going good. You know, I got a got a kick when I came in last night. We sat back and talked for a while, and you had some bacon here, so I had to eat the bacon. Why did you do that? Uh, because I wanted some. Well, you didn't get any. I cleaned it off. Oh, I already got mine. Oh, yeah. I came in. I could smell it. It was like felt like that commercial, bacon, bacon, bacon with the dog. Remember those things? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> tired, good man. Good stuff. I, I was tired. I fell asleep. I was gone. I was out for, actually, I think I slept eight hours. I was total, totally gone. We haven't done these for a while. We kind of got off track. I've been traveling a little bit, huh? So Yeah, yeah. We're, we do them as we have time. Obviously, uh, it's a little bit of a labor of love. One of the things that uh, we were going to try to do is do a really uh, a set schedule. We did every Tuesday and Friday, and, and we decided to do once a week and go to a Monday routine. And, and uh, But uh, we don't have that luxury. We, uh, we have to kind of do it when we got to do it but we had a great conversation i think this morning i think we figured out a lot of things yeah yeah we uh i don't know podcasting's always kind of been a topic of discussion and yeah we once again kind of figured out an interesting little thing if you think about it with you you and i have of course i've been on the on the microphone side more than you have in the past obviously going back to when mom and i were doing podcasting oh yeah, yeah. god do you remember when dial up was like as good as it got yes i, I vividly remember <laughs> do you remember some of the arguments and screaming it would be like I can't believe this thing. Oh, yeah. It's uh, tech, technology is great. For those of you who don't remember or know what dial-up, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit what that was? And, and you know what? Because you're good at this. Go ahead and tell them like the, the, the trials and tribulations that we went through a decade ago with streaming and the, the internet. I mean, it was, it was more than a decade ago. But yeah, I mean, uh, once upon a time, everybody got their internet through a copper line. And dial-up is just a protocol. Obviously, there's many variations of it. But, you know, it's how everybody used to use the internet you'd basically connect over a phone line and that was the network that people had to use everybody had a phone everybody had a phone line in the case of businesses you had multiple so you used your phone line to actually get your internet connectivity and of course now we have cable or fiber and that's how most people get it now or you know into the future with 5g and everything um you know you're able to get internet service over over the air a good example of this is i was listening to a a podcast recently where a guy was discussing the t mobile um i don't know if it's i i can't remember the spectrum exactly but anyways the t-mobile uh wireless uh home service or internet and this guy's getting like 650 megabit down a hundred something up and it's all through the same technology that your phone uses which is amazing you know you don't and and the guy was basically talking about how how is it that i get this kind of service using this little puck that i plug in in my house but yet my wi-fi devices on my local network are a nightmare and they don't work with like i can't you know i, I have issues with interference and stuff like that and the conclusion was basically that the spectrum that the uh that the wireless carriers have versus what your wi-fi home devices use is very superior and anyways the point is is that you know we've gone all the way from using well the only network going into everybody's home is a telephone copper wire uh now you know you can just do it over the air but the point is is that uh it, it wasn't there wasn't uh there was a time not so long ago when you did not have the uh good fortune to just whip up your phone and pull something up it took a little bit of effort um you know even businesses 
if you recall back in this time period, ooh, we were we were very special because we had a multiple bonded T1 lines and that was that was our internet service because it was symmetrical. So we could do things like live streaming and stuff like that where, you know, nobody else could, but it was still was not easy. <laughs> I get a kick out of people who do podcasting and they'll do things like, "Oh yeah, well I I do a podcast." And I'll ask them questions. Well, they did one or two and they dropped off like 99% of them. Unfortunately, yeah. And then you get some people who like, well, I just use my phone for podcasting. And and so I like asking questions and what they know. And, and I want to, because you and I have done this for so, so long. Uh, I'll give context before you were born and made. But uh, t- tell everybody, like when we were in uh, Dunellen, uh, one of the things you built for me was a duplicator. What kind of a duplicator was it? Well, yeah, VHS, I guess. Yeah, we started with VHS tapes. Mom and I would do all the seminars and workshops. And we found that when we made tapes and handed tapes to people who made reservations to see us, that it was basically a reiteration of what we had talked about. And so when they came in for appointments, it wasn't so uh, just horrible in terms of, of, um, you know, we could actually have good, clean conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the ability to rewind and do what you have to do to, you know, get the point across, even if somebody isn't totally knowledgeable is, uh, it's important. And then we, we all think of that as a luxury today because obviously, you know, you watch a YouTube video, you can always rewind it, things like that. But that wasn't always the case. I mean, you know, you go back not too, not too far and, you know, all you would get is radio or TV and there was no way to even rewind that unless, you know, you were the privileged few that had a VHS or a Betamax and you could record it. But you also had to have the foresight to record it in the first place. You didn't record everything 24-7 like a TiVo. So, you know, everything took way more planning and way more expensive equipment to do anything. Well, it's like now, the- obviously, you know, you pull up a internet radio app, even if you're listening to a traditional radio, it's coming through your phone. You can still rewind it in most cases. And, and even the word rewind is kind of like the the word podcast. Is just oh, it doesn't. Yeah. What's the what, what, rewind? What does that mean? <laughs> or, or cell phone? I mean, oh, uh, my phone or my cell phone. It's like, well, it's actually your pocket computer. You know, back in the day, we we uh, was it Microsoft had pocket PCs. Oh yeah. Well, that P- that's a, that, PDAs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, personal digital assistant, which mm-hmm. is which is again another kind of like a silly term, but like pocket PC to me makes more sense because that's really what you have in your pocket. Like you have a phone service capability, but it's really a wirelessly connected internet. Well, you know, that's one of the things like Leo Laporte who has a twit and he does, you know, this week, all that Leo Laporte's been in doing a lot of podcasting uh, going back to the days when John Dvork used to actually write about, you know, the mouse is the silliest thing. It'll never go anywhere. But um, yeah, it's uh, there's, there's a couple different interesting things out there that uh, I actually think Leo years ago used to say netcast instead of a podcast. Well, nobody does that anymore, but uh, you know what I'm saying? It's like netcast actually is a, a good term. Well, yeah, it's funny because podcast as a term goes back to, well, podcasts as, as, a, as a thing. It, I, I, was, I was writing about this the other day. Uh, podcasts are not necessarily a thing or whatever. They're, they're It's like a protocol, really. And, you know, the term podcast actually means a whole bunch of different stuff. It can mean the actual episode. It can mean the show. It can mean the protocol. It can mean a whole bunch of different things. And, you know, so when somebody says, oh, you know, uh, XYZ podcast, it's like, you know, most people kind of know what you're saying, but from a technical perspective, it's actually kind of funny because the podcast as, as an actual entity, it, the term came after it was actually a thing. Um, so, you know, back in the day, RSS feeds were super popular. 
and uh, obviously they still are, but um, you know the concept of uh, distributing like your articles or whatever through a commonly known URL that a special app can then read like a like a, like a digital newspaper. Um, it was actually had a today it's a luxury, but back then it was a practical thing because you know if you have dial up to go back to that, um, you know especially in an era where you know maybe you're lucky if you have 56k service you might have less. You know you want to load all your articles and then be able to read them. Well, it syncs while you're not at your computer and it doesn't take forever to load all this crap. And so anyways, the RSS protocol, you know, back in the day, a lot of internet users actually use it. And, you know, you fast forward, uh, I think to 2000 or something, and they added basically the concept of, of attaching a, a for download link to, to audio files to the RSS spec. And that's really when podcasts started was around the year 2000. Now they didn't have a term for it. They're just like, oh yeah, we, you can attach an, a recording. So obviously, you know, the technology could be used for anything. And then when the podcast, when the iPod came out, that's when uh, podcasts as a thing, like the, the the term took on. Anyways, it's funny because it's it's a good example of how you can invent something, but if there's not a if there's not a popular device or a reason for people to use it, like it's just going to languish. Yeah, it's like the word Kleenex, or it's like you know, podcast. You just you start to have this. The, the word just means multiple different things. I get kicked. People say, "Oh yeah, I've got a podcast," and they're on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a weird thing. Like I, it's you have a show on YouTube. You don't have a podcast because that's a funny thing. Like I, there's a couple actual podcasts that I have uh, on my feed that I, I check. I like to listen to, and you know, like one of this is a, is a pol- is a geology podcast, and they do it on YouTube. They do it live. They you know, it's like an hour or two, whatever. They do it, I think, every week or two, something like that. Fairly regular schedule. But they don't update their RSS feed with the actual MP3 file, but maybe once a month, and they're always way delayed. Why? So I don't know. So instead, I have to go and check their YouTube channel and see, hey, I haven't seen if they have an episode in a while. And it's because the guy who runs it probably, like, you know, is, isn't isn't exactly... Uh, uh, not a high priority or he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, he's just probably not very meticulous with making sure that he always gets them up there. And like once a month, he's like, oh, I got I forgot I got to do that. And then a whole bunch of them fall into the feed. I don't know. I mean, but the point, but it's the same thing. It's like, come on guys. Like YouTube is not where everything needs to be. Like, you know, YouTube would be smart given all of the people that are doing stuff. If there was a way to kind of get the audio only version as like a feed, but they won't do that. And they're YouTube's weird. But. Well, I like to tell stories. I like to give context to things. So I'll give a little bit of context before Paul was born and before he was made. That was a very good night. Um, the reality is that uh, I used to use a cassette tape. Now, my background goes back to reel-to-reel tape. I don't think there's a lot of people that can say that. They can go back to reel-to-reel tape. Yeah, well, I guess in my, in my case, there's not a lot of people that can say they use dial-up. That's right. In your in your age I mean, group, dial-up would be a big thing. In my case, I remember having a laptop where I, di- I plugged the, uh, what do you call it, um, the phone jack into the computer, into the laptop, and then use that phone to then dial into the office. Then I could get internet. Because yeah. you, you had a dial-in relay, basically, where you had internet going into the office it was probably a t1 or something but not everybody of course had the ability to do that so then you dialed into the office to get access to the internet which was actually kind of cool because basically if you had a phone connection you could get internet anywhere you're at which was crazy advanced for the time period well you know i actually think there's there's a lot of things that i i, I like having context because i meet so many people who suffer from the recency effect 
In other words, everything has only happened lately. Like, for example, the movie You've Got Mail, and you hear the all those little beep, beep, boop, boop, boop sounds. I don't think people know what that means. No, not at all. I don't, you know, like, for example, years ago, um, people are unknowingly uh, using the same technology. I mean, in essence, everything comes down to ones and zeros. We always talk about that. Yeah, it. No, nothing really has changed. But you could, you could whistle into a phone years ago and get long distance phone calls when calling long distance was really expensive. And oh, then yeah. Steve Jobs and uh, they all made devices years ago and they were... were uh, yeah, there's a really good book about that. I can't remember what it is, but a uh, guide basically describes like all this weird stuff they did years ago. Basically, it was like early hacking. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, You know, getting free long distance and all this crazy stuff they would do, especially in that era where, you know, these guys would be on, you know, primitive computers in like the 80s. And, you know, they're dialing into like mainframes to get access to stuff. And, and it was horribly expensive. Oh, my God. Yeah. Long distance phone calls. I remember saying, I remember like, saying like, one day, one day long distance phone calls will be a thing of the past. Everything will be a local call. Yeah, that that has yet to actually become a thing. You have unlimited plans and you have unlimited allotments of stuff, but long distance is still a thing. But but the the the, the reason they did that was because, in, especially in the techies, because like if you're in Colorado, you know, at some university at Boulder or whatever, and I think it's Boulder has a, used to have a really high tech uh, lab at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you're you're there, and then you want to go and either communicate or, or potentially download something or something like that with like a mainframe that's in you know, uh, Cal State or something. Well, you're multiple states away. That's long distance for sure. And now you're paying, you know, what, a dollar a minute in, late, in the 80s? <laughs> to connect to a to a mainframe to get information or communicate with somebody. They're horribly expensive. Well, my first bag phone was an analog phone. Most people don't know what a bag phone is anymore and, and it was a dollar a minute. Yeah. And, and the way I used to do business but that is... Was, but that was for every call. This, this that was, was for every call, this yeah. Was, this was long distance. <laughs> I would do a thing. People would call me on my on my bag phone and I'd be, hey, can I call you back? And what I would do is like, okay, let me call you at 515. Okay, I'll call you at 530 or I'll call you... And I would go to a pay phone by, by a convenience store or someplace it was cheaper to drop the quarters in and say hey paul how you doing blah 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 i got time where you well, i'm also i have a 7-eleven now well hey listen a buck a minute that starts to get expensive you oh, know yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that was a big deal so but yeah here's another movie um how about the movie Wolf of Wall Street, where um, the father of the guy wants to watch a TV show and gets a phone call and loses his mind? And well, most people say, well, what's the big deal? Just stop it, rewind it, and go back. But back in the day, you didn't have no. that. And so if you missed an episode, you had to wait six months until you had reruns. And in the way it used to be, ABC, NBC, and CBS used to have, they didn't have like 10 episodes or five episodes, or used to have 20 or 25 episodes or 26 52 divided by two, you have 26 episodes. And then if you wanted to watch that episode, if you missed it, you wait six months until the re- rewinds came on or reruns came on. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's why, um, well, I mean, I remember when we, when we got the first TiVo. Oh, that was amazing. And, you know, it was, it? it was standard definition. It was nothing really special in hindsight, but you know, the ability to, you know, record and basically rewind any channel that you'd been watching was, was magic. Um, obviously, you know, TiVo notorious for having the I think 30 second fast forward button which most ads were either were in 15 second increments so. oh and, the, and that caused so much trouble oh. litigation and oh I, it was unbelievable um, to the point that even years later they invented a feature if you continued to use TiVo um, they invented a feature where they would literally catalog every ad segment so no matter what you were watching you could hit the the smart fast forward button and it would automatically just skip all the ads <laughs> but um but it's funny because people don't really understand that it's a good example of how you know the 
historical context of these things is important uh, to know because that's why a lot of TV shows um, did this kind of, uh, uh, instead of this, what do you call it, like a uh, storytelling, they would do this episodic thing where, you know, every uh, serial, I guess, they they would do the serial thing where no matter what episode of Law & Order you caught, unless it was like a transition of characters or something like that, you didn't need to see the last one to know what this one is about. Right. So, you know, there was a real practical reason behind that. Also, if you think about it, like the, uh, oh, what happened last time for, 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 you know, episodic type storytelling shows, there's a reason you have, if you, a good example is like, uh, the only network television type, it's not even network television, but the only real television with any ads that we've watched any time recently was the, we've been watching the new season of Better Call Saul. Oh yeah, that's right. And something that I think a lot of, is, is missed on a lot of people. And I figured this out when I was like, before I was even 10 years old, like <laughs> you could tell what the episode was going to be about and what plot points they were going to talk about in advance based on what's coming, what you missed, right? They would try and fill you in with like 10 or 30 seconds of what happened to in the last episode. Well, it wasn't ever last episode. It was always like things that may have happened two and three before and they would show you scenes like catch up. Well, they did it for a practical reason because they knew that some percentage of their audience would have no idea what the hell was going on and they would lose them because now they're like, I'm lost. I missed episode 12 and I don't I don't know what's going on. Well, they need to, you know, but that's <laughs> no different. catch them up. But that's basic one-on-one sales. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I, I, I did this last night. I had a lady and a gentleman and uh, I asked her, I said, do you know what a mutual fund is? And she goes, well, I've heard of them. <laughs> Now, to me, okay. to me, I would be like, and then he said, well, honey, it's like an ETF. And she goes, okay, I think we have those, right? And I just, it, this is not a sexist thing. It could have been a guy, but it, that's the reality. When I say to people, you know, do you know what a stock and a bond and a mutual fund is? And a lot, 50% of people go, well, I'm not into those things. And so you, you, that's the reason why you have to commoditize certain things. So again, going back to what I was going to say a little earlier, when before you were born, I, I've told you this before, but I got two cassette recorders. Yeah. And I went to a Radio Shack store and I was able to basically bust them open. I was able to do my own little wiring and it got to be a point you could do it. But I would record I would record my master audio and then I would just duplicate it. And then I wound up getting one that was a four track. That was great. Uh, you put your master in and it would create four. And that was one of my first big expenses uh, rather than just buying computers, which was always a big expense. Oh, yeah. But you know, people thought that was fantastic. And then what I did, oh, I couldn't believe what I did. I, I was able to get labels printed up and I went to a printer and it was like, I think we can do this. And they had to actually cut them in the whole nine yards. Then out came uh, labels, you know, like these Avery labels and like, oh my God, this is great. And people were actually making their own mixed tapes. Oh, yeah. So then I would like, okay, so I'm going to be seeing John Smith. So I'd put John Smith on the Avery label and it would be from me. And so it would be his. So it would explain what stocks and bonds and mutual funds are and what economic theory is and what we do and how you do risk management and you know, all that kind of stuff and it was great people thought that was a that was the cat's meow then you had people like well i don't have a re- <laughs> i'm dating myself people would say i don't have a cassette recorder but they'd have to go into their car to listen to it because every car had a cassette recorder For sure yeah then they stopped having cassette recorders and they had they had players, cd yeah. players yep <laughs> i don't have a cd player we'll go to your car <laughs> you know and i say these things you know i don't think people have any, and this is what really irks me to no end for all you who are basically under the age of 40 who like oh yeah 
Yeah, yeah. This has always been this way. It hasn't been. No, and 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 even in you know, I'm I'm almost thirty, and and you know, I've seen most of this transition. And the bit that I haven't seen is I've lived it because you've you've told it, and obviously you have stories that I can relate to. But it's it's really insane to consider. You know, kind of like think of like 1970 forward. How much has progressed? How much has changed? I mean, you know, Doug Engelbart did his you know uh, demo of all demos in like 1965. 1967 something like that god rest his soul and you know he demoed if you haven't seen it just youtube it it's amazing doug engelbart and he he demoed using a cacophony of of technologies and things but basically everything that we use today he demoed the first demo of a of a of a mouse using a computer graphical interface um using a pen to interface with with a computer screen or or you know to draw on that sort of thing um uh, video conferencing um, obviously the graphical user interface was a necessary component for the mouse and that was one of the first times that had been done but tons and tons and tons of these things I think he's responsible for something around one to two dozen different significant uh, technology bedrocks that like we use today I, I mean a good example like a, the video uh, uh, video conferencing or, or webinars or you know online meetings that is a technology that has been use, used in, in higher end business you know you know high, high profit let's say businesses and high-risk businesses going back to the 90s like people think that oh cisco and webex and go to meeting and all these companies are new but they're not i mean the the anybody who's ever used any of these before you will have typically received um as part of like your informational email it has a phone number you can call and it has the meeting id and it tells you how to do it people think like oh well that's just for people with like you know a bad internet connection or something no because back in the day if you had dial-up or or you had a t1 connection or something like that you know a t1 is a uh 1.5 1.5 megabits so you know when you think you have bad internet and you know you're sitting there and you're complaining yeah the best a business could get at, at one time was 1.5 megabits and that costs over a thousand dollars a month um, yeah believe me i know yeah <laughs> or we, just, I, I i wish i just could get 10 cents back on all the money we've spent <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then you know anyway so so you know let's say you have an office of, four, of 10 people well you're still looking at only 150 kilobits of actual like bandwidth per person so can you do something with that absolutely uh, you know, if you want to get everybody on like a, a webinar or something like that with like your home office in New York or Atlanta or something, you, you can do that. But computers back then didn't really have, if you had speakers, maybe you had speakers, but you definitely didn't have like audio and video equipment. So what would people do? They would pull up the webinar on their computer and then they would dial in on their phone. And then that's how they would either talk or, or listen. So people don't really realize that this technology has actually been around for a long time. I, mean, I remember you talking about, oh, you know, uh, the, the different webinars and they wanted you to use a uh, VOIP because that was a new feature and whatever and uh it was like no you have to call in because you know at the time you the max service you could get was x and these guys were in new york and they're like well why don't you have x y and z it's like i'm out here in the boonies this is not possible like yeah paul's referring to we we, for several years we we were in a little tiny city at the crossroads of absolutely nowhere and nothing and i say that politely because it's it's a cool little place it was called it is called dunellen florida and uh that's where we lived and we had our office we restored the office office. It was absolutely fantastic, but the internet was uh, not exactly not cutting edge. Not cutting edge, and 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 you know, I think one of the one of the things a lot of people, and I, I sometimes I get disappointed in this that when you meet people and they don't realize who they're talking to, and I know that sounds cocky, but even going back to before I was in finance, I mean, I spent the equivalent of what some officers earned in an entire year. Of course, I was gifted with money, but I had my own computer system, and the only computers they had 
had were in CID, Criminal Intelligence Division. But when I started in law enforcement, when I came down from Milwaukee to Tampa, they still had massive Rolodexes. Just think about that. Oh, yeah. You know, everything was on paper and everything, these, you know, nothing was really computerized, but all Truesdale was computerized. That's how I was able to, of course, I got that big award for that my organized crime investigation into prostitution and what they now call human trafficking. But that was all based upon the fact that I had my K-Pro and I had all my disc and I had my Macintosh and yeah, and yeah I, I mean, well, that's a funny thing. Like, and the FBI came to me to find out who John Long, the serial murderer, was. <laughs> like, you know, you stopped this guy and blah blah blah. Go ahead, I interrupted. No, no, no. It just shows the power of of, of computers. And you know, this has kind of been a funny gripe of mine for a long time: is that people think that we will somehow, you know, magically be able to achieve uh, what they call like a general general computer intelligence or something. I can't, I can't remember the term, but anyways, but basically, it's like you know, human like rationalization in computers. And I, since I first learned about this, you know, as a kid, thought that it was just silly because if you understand how computers work on a fundamental level, you'll very quickly understand that that's just not possible. Um, the only way you can do it is if you totally understand all of human biology and then you're able to somehow implement that into a computer. And even then, how do you get, you know, uh, free will and, and, and other aspects that are just unquantifiable? It's just not possible. Yeah. But, it, you know, so my, my, my perspective on this stuff for a long time has been that, you know, that angle of stuff is silly. And when you call things like, uh, you know, everybody's all uh, for the past, I don't know, 10, 10 years or so, it's all been about, you know, AI, you know, artificial intelligence and all this stuff. And, you know, we, we've had we've had many discussions about this, but it's just so dumb in my view because it's not, you know, the real world, the real word is called machine learning. You, you, you have algorithms that you train on certain data sets and those certain data sets are, they discover patterns and they discover a set of inferences. And once you have a certain amount of predictability to those um, models now that you've trained, you then can apply those to your other data sets in some amount of reliable fashion. That's, I mean, that's really all it is. You know, a good example is you take a Tesla and a Tesla uses cameras to do all of their self-driving. They don't, Elon Musk apparently doesn't believe in LiDAR, even though every other car in the world uses LiDAR for this. But anyways, that gives them some special abilities that most people don't realize that they can do. So like a good example is stop signs, right? The cameras on a Tesla can actually tell what a, what a stop sign is. Well, they have probably millions of pictures from driving around the country and whatever of stop signs. They, they That's part of their, their training for their artificial intelligence model. Now, it doesn't have general intelligence. And a good example of this was somebody took a picture of their Tesla absolutely freaking out a few months ago when they were driving down the interstate and it was in the uh, the fully automated driving mode. And there was a, uh, I think it was a state road maintenance. Oh, yes. Maintenance. <laughs> this is great. This is one of the greatest stories in the history of the world. Go ahead. Yeah. So it was like a state highway maintenance. Like uh, we've all seen them. They've got like the uh, the removable sides and they just load a bunch of stuff. Oh, in yeah. There we've all seen them. The cones and the signs and all that crap. And they're all blinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they never turn them off because, you know, why, why would you do that? Um, but in the back, the very back of the vehicle, this thing was like pressed full of, of, of like cones and like I said, you know, highway maintenance equipment. In the back were all the stop signs and they were all facing out of the vehicle the vehicle didn't stop that was the crazy part but it, but the the signals and the warnings and all that stuff is just the car was freaking out because it saw like six stop signs in front of it and it didn't know what to do <laughs> You know, so that's a good example of how there's little things that humans are able to rationalize. And it's like you see a stop sign in the back of a, like another vehicle and you don't like slam on your brakes like that episode of The Office where they're they're doing the uh, <laughs> turn now, yeah, turn now, turn now. And they drive into the pond. 
you know, you don't do that. Like you, you are able to rationalize pretty quickly. Like, yes, this, it doesn't even come into your brain. Well, but see, here's the thing. thing. Whereas the computer is like, I don't understand. I, I see a stop sign. So, you know what I mean? So it's like, well, but see, here's the thing. To, it's, you have to predetermine every contingency and then train it what to do. That's not intelligence. That is just complicated um, pattern matching. And so to my point about the police and everything like that, you know, you go back to the history of, of computers, like companies spent millions and millions of dollars in these big mainframes. You talked about it with Aria Express when your father. Uh, oh yeah, my, my father's my father's office had over a million dollars in a, in a mainframe just in his yeah. office. Yeah, and so, you know, they bought, you know, millions of dollars worth of these mainframes and they connected them with, you know, rudimentary networks at the time yep. and all of this stuff. Um, but the first, what did it do? It, it was a, it was basically a big counting machine. It's big, it it, it, he called it the uh, teletype and the uh, the uh, the big what what he called it something the big cal- the big calculator and the big uh, teletype. That's all he that's called exactly it. it. So you got multi-purpose out of something instead of it just being one thing, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that's a good example of that. But you go all the way to the beginning. Some of the first, uh, well, the first major purchases of of mainframe computers because that was the only computer you could buy uh, were by people like Ford Motor Company, who during World War II had over a million people in their employment. Well, in, if anybody knows anything about how they get paid at the end of the day, it's uh, especially for labor jobs, uh, it's number of hours worked times whatever your pay scale is, plus your overtime. And then obviously there's taxes and all kinds of other stuff that has to be tabulated. Then they write you a check, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this was in a time period where every, there were, I think Ford had like 10,000 accountants to do payroll every two weeks. It was insane. Or maybe it was more than that. I mean, they had buildings full of people just to get people paid. And it was a full-time thing. You know, it just, it never ended. So, you know, these companies bought these big mainframes because they realized, one, we're already paying millions of dollars a month in salaries just to get the paychecks to people. If we spend millions of dollars on computers to do our pay tabulation, we can save, we can probably save that much money in errors in a year. Well, then obviously you don't need as many people and the tabulation on what people are getting paid is more accurate. And then you have like very reproducible audit trails on exactly, uh, you know, what taxes are and you can prove to the IRS they don't have to sit there, you know, with 20 or 40 people crawling through every pay record to make sure that, you know, you've been paying all your taxes properly. Just imagine, you know, the simplification of having thousands of people to maybe a few hundred just for writing paychecks. So it's funny because some of the first computers were literally just about making sure people get paid on time accurately. And those are the types of things. It's like, that's what computers are for. That's what, that's why, that's how computers are so valuable. It's just, it's, it's a constant trickle of optimizing and making universal tools to simplify and make your life easier. Now, obviously some people take it too far and do crazy stuff and, and, and do things that are all, you know, just pure entertainment, obviously. But in general, I mean, just think about the millions of people that don't have jobs where their jobs became obsoleted by really simple stuff like writing a paycheck. It's insane. I'm going to take a quick break and bring our, uh, dis- our little disclaimer, our intro in here so we can get that out of the way because I got a couple comments that will uh, get close to the edge. Yeah. This is the Paul Truesdell Podcast. Due to the extensive holdings of our sponsor, Fixed Cost Financial, and your hosts, you should expect that a conflict of interest exists with all companies discussed. And now, two Pauls in a pod. The Paul Truesdell Podcast. (laughs) 
So I kind of want to get that out of the way because one of the things that uh, while you've never been in law enforcement, you've been with me through all the stories. I've shown you all the shootings. I've taken you to Tampa and we've been up uh, all across the country on things I've done. Uh, you know what it's like to do old school gumshoe investigations. I mean, you oh, yeah. I mean, you could go into any agency and you could run a detective bureau, I think, because of just what I've done with you. But at the same time, you apply that kind of old school and in my my case, I've always been that guy who was sometimes a little bit ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or yeah, absolutely. I've always used technology and, and I, you know, even in the Tampa Police Department, for those of you who know the city of Tampa, if you take a look at, uh, let's say, Del Mabry Highway up to around Columbus, and then you go and uh, run that over to the airport, and uh, you take in the Courtney Campbell Causeway, and then you take all of the Howard Franklin, you go down to uh, Kennedy Boulevard. That used to be Midnight Zone 5. And that was also one of the highest crime areas uh, in the city. They used to have a grid there, 121, and it had some of the highest robbery and auto theft, and it was all based upon prostitution. At one time, between basically the, uh, let's see, what would have been? It would have been the west side of the road. The ladies of the evening, there would always be, there would be anywhere from 40 to 70 ladies of the evening walking up and down Dale Mabry in front of the uh, Mons Venus and the uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. And, and I got to tell you, it was, it was, it was rough. People, oh, but, but people will tell you that oh, just because you have a CD establishment, that <laughs> doesn't mean that it's going to cause the whole area to have issues, right? Yeah, no. So, <laughs> you know, I got, I'm, I'm a genuinely a lazy guy in life. Of course, tongue in cheek, laugh, laugh. And I just got fed up with it. One night I had a guy that was shot, his car was gone. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's wants to get uh, Willy Wonker and uh, polished by uh, some uh, lady of a, uh, you know, some, some uh, street lizard. And, and I, I'm tired of this shit, you know? So I, I went to war against them. Now I got the, at the time it was the department's highest award. I got the very first award of excellent duty, uh, a fellow by the name of Joe Pelkington. He was assistant chief or colonel. And uh, when I got the award, he, he uh, said in front of everybody, he said, when I read the stats, I didn't believe it. And then, I'm not bragging, but it's just a fact. He said that I had made more arrests and vice and street. The, uh, I, I did a good job. Let's just say this. But, but my key was, it was my computers. Yeah, got to have the data. My computers. And I, and I literally figured out a couple of things. What I used to do is in the neighborhoods that had houses, um, because I wasn't going to be able to patrol that much in those areas. This is when I was in uniform, which I didn't spend a lot of time in uniform. But when I, I would go in and I would turn my overhead lights on and I would hit the siren every once in a while and I flashed my lights all around. And I figured out that when I started a shift, sometime between we'd hit, we'd get on duty at like 7, 38 o'clock and then we'd work till six o'clock in the morning. We had 11 hour and then two, three, 10 and a half hours. So we're four days on, three days off. It was great. I loved it. Permanent midnights. And uh, of course, we worked the rough, the rough nights. You know, we Friday and Saturday nights, we were always fighting. But the bottom line is, I figured out that if I could hurry up and get into my residential neighborhoods as well as into the business areas, and I flashed my lights and I patrolled, I my burglary rate went down dramatically. I mean, I cut my burglary rate like by seventy percent because the burglars are out crawling around and they see a car, and so that just—I know that sounds silly, but it was like you hear a siren, oh, you know, you get spooky, right? Maybe they're coming for me, which allowed me time to work with my girls. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it's patrolling. That's the whole point of patrolling is you're just making your presence known and they don't know when you're going to come back. Yeah. And, and then 
statistically speaking, if you want to do a robbery or something like that, you wait until the patrol comes by and then you wait until they're just far enough away and then you start doing your deed. But, you know, <laughs> most people don't think that way. They they view it as, oh, oh he might turn around. He might come right back. <laughs> you know, I, I had a sergeant. His name was Art Ramagli. Art retired and wound up working for me until he passed away. Great guy. Just, you know, Art stories. I just, yeah. Art Ramagli was one of the greatest sergeants I could ever have worked for. And, and so uh, I think his wife, Doris, is still around and, and uh, I just love that guy. But one time he called called me over and he said, meet me at such and such. I said, meet me at Lois and Kennedy at the convenience store. He said, I pulled up, you know, you do that car to car thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he, he said to me, what the hell are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He said, who are you chasing up in, I'm not going to say the name of the area, but who are you chasing? I said, nobody. He goes, you're driving like a maniac with your lights on. I said, yeah, I know, but everybody in that neighborhood is going to, they think I'm in a chase, which means every the lights are all on for the next three or four hours. Nope. They're, they're wondering what the cops are doing. I don't have to be there. Everybody's looking out for everybody else. <laughs> I said, I'm working the horrors over on Del Mabry. He said, you're goddamn nuts, Paul. I said, well, stats prove it. And that's my point. You got to have your stats. Yeah. You got to know your stats. So it was like uh, the Courtney Campbell Causeway. There was always between 2.30 and 3.30 in the morning, there was always uh, one or two cars. They were always Jags. They were always Corvettes. And they were always going from Tampa back to Clearwater because at the time, all the hot uh, bars and everything were in Tampa. I mean, nobody went to Clearwater to party. That was, you know, that was old fart central. But those guys would drive you know, 100, 120 miles an hour. And so I, I I would enjoy some of my chases, but you knew how to do things. Well, if I don't want to really want to chase anybody and I really want to just get caught up on reports, I would just go out in the causeway, turn the lights on and flash to slow them down because them guys had accents. You know, you're doing 120, 130. And that's a mess. It's a fatality. Oh yeah, That's no fun. But again, it's all about records. And I don't think people, I, I like to tell these kinds of stories because when you're working with an investment advisor, oh, I manage money, you know, and they're just using mutual funds or Oh, I just use, or they're using third-party asset management. You got to get tired with that crap when somebody says they're an investment advisor and all they're doing is using people like us. Yeah, I mean that—that's what I don't know the exact numbers, but I mean it's basically a majority of people do exactly that. They, yeah. You know, it's over ninety percent, ninety ninety-five percent. But yeah, I mean that's what most people do. It's, it's insane. They they hire a third party, and you know, I guess I guess in the truest sense of the word, they are advising because <laughs> they're sure as hell not making any decisions. They're not making the management. Um, I mean, they're making some, I guess, uh, like big macro decisions, but they're delegating all of the actual, uh, you know, the important decisions to a third parties because, you know, well, why did X, Y, and Z happen? Well, I mean, because we hired this other company. It's not my fault. And I'm not bragging, but my, see, my dad, I, I learned from my dad. My dad, if, if, my, if, my, if my dad, so say you're a lawyer, you graduated from uh, oh anywhere, it doesn't make any difference, and you apply to work, dad hired you, and then you started loading trucks on the docks. Yeah, work your way up. And you had to take your turn as a janitor and you took your turn as a security guard not just during the day but also midnights you worked every dirty job i think that's the reason i like that guy row just sure my dad made everybody it didn't make any difference who you were and so if your position eventually was going to be in the sales you knew what everybody had to do and that was working in behind the, the the grate and checking all the boxes in and everything you know how things worked and if you didn't understand that you couldn't do your job and it, it, you know, dad had great lawyers that worked for them and, and great accountants because they knew, wait a minute, this is, we got, something's off because somebody didn't log this. In. He knew that. They knew yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, also it prevents situations of just unreasonable expectations. Like you've, you've unloaded or loaded X number of trucks. You know, you know how long it takes, you know how hard it is, blah, blah, blah. And you know, all the steps in between. So when you say, oh, well, we've got like 10 extra vehicles coming this week and you already know you're jammed. It's like, well, you can, you can honestly say based on just a 
rational assessment because of your own personal experience, uh, that's going to be delayed by two or three days because we're we're already jammed full. So don't expect this to be done until this date. And you have it's, to admit, it just sets good expectations. You know, it does it prevents you know litigation? It prevents people having hissy attacks and screaming at each other. It's just it's just good business. And you have to admit, I've done that with you and your brother and sister. And and sometimes things break, and some things they break. You know, have you ever seen me lose my mind when I say I need you to do this and just figure it out and it breaks? Have I ever have I ever said anything other than well, won't do that next time, will we? Yeah, exactly. So, but when it comes to investing, and I think this is the one thing that just really irks me to no end. And I don't think people realize you do realize I've done every possible component of this. Yeah. Okay, I didn't just sit in Wall Street at a desk and run my little computer algorithm and everything else. I have done dumpster diving. I know what it's like to take as a cop. You know, when you're going to uh, you do a surveillance, you do realize that I know how to put theatrical makeup on to put scars and and I know how to have blood uh, pills. There's different things that that's what we call them blood pills. If you need to have blood coming down your mouth because sure, you're yeah. trying or how you eat oatmeal. You put oatmeal in your mouth and you have, you you douse yourself with beer if you're trying to appear to look like a wino. How you have clothes you never never wash because you got to blend in and stink like everybody else. Sure, how yeah. you put pillows in, because I'm a pretty health, healthy man, always have been in size, not heavy set, but just muscular. So you have to pad yourself up to look heavy and all that kind of stuff. You get your big, your big boy clothes. And all. That's what you got to do if you're going to surveil. If I'm following somebody, I have to be able to flip one the right light on, the left headlight on. I, I got to change my lights. People don't realize that, you know, at night, oh, cars have round lights, oh, they have square lights. All that stuff you have to do, there are surveillance vehicles that we did when we, uh, street crime unit. And a lot of that stuff, you know, how did you do it? You went to the old substation four, uh, got Mac, any of you from Tampa years ago, Mac away, we used to call them Mac, juice up our cars, That how you did that kind of stuff. That's kind of stuff though. Remember when we were doing, uh, I did that big class action against Penn Treaty and everything else, some dumps, that same stuff applies, but then you have to do the analytics. Now, I'm not going to sit down with pen and paper and, and do a spreadsheet anymore, what do I do? I'm going to use... Use the computer. I'm going to use a computer. I mean, Excel is nothing more than... And all your financial planning, I always say people, well, you're getting... What, okay, what's your favorite phrase? Financial planning what? It's a tool. What is it? It's a tool. It's not... A service or so, a product or... I mean, I guess it technically kind of is a product, but the point is, is like, it's used as a, as a, as a oh, this is the magical service to then get a hold of your money. When the reality is, is it's a tool that most people should use and, you know, financial planning, most of the stuff these people do, it's, it's well over most people's heads and beyond their means or, or what or their projected means like you don't need to do sophisticated you know tax shelter planning and all kinds of weird uh stuff and i say weird because obviously it's 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 foreign to most people for somebody that's going to retire with you know between one and two three million dollars like that doesn't matter you know most of those people would be better off just paying their taxes and and being done with it and having a basic uh basic financial structure and you know having their revocable trust and own most of their assets and be done with it. Well, the thing but instead, is, you know, these people want to create, you know, shell companies and do all kinds of stuff. And it's like, what are you, what, what are you going to go out and you're going to go do Charlie Manson? You're going to put a cult together and murder people? <laughs> like, why do you, why do you need all this fancy planning to, to, to do this? Like, it's just like, it, they're, they're, this is basic stuff. Um, well, know, th- and so that my point is, is they make, you know, a gigantic complicated mess out of something that is really like, you know, what are your annual expenses? What's your income? What are your assets? What is your projected drawdown going to look like? You know, 
you know, what is your expected cost of living adjustment going to be? And you do some really basic kind of projections and it's like, okay, well, you should be pretty fine. If inflation gets too high, it gets, it gets higher than this. Like you're probably going to be in trouble. If it stays low, you're going to be fine. If you buy too big of a house, you know, your expenses will increase by, you know, a lot. And, you know, you, you have a, a lot higher risk of running out of money, blah, 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 which is of course, you know, common thing we see a lot, you know, oh, I got to have the seven, eight, $900,000 retirement house. And you realize, yeah, well, that's still going to cost you like 50 to a hundred thousand dollars a year in maintenance. And, you know, that investment portfolio is not going to last as long as you think it is. Well, that's like in the villages. How many, how many years ago did I say all these people who ran to the villages and mama's got social security, daddy's got social security, daddy's got a pension. And when daddy dies, you're going to lose a big chunk of the social security. And a lot of them, the pension gets cut back, but you still got the house, you still got the expenses. And then guess what happens? Well, because you're a single woman in a community where a lot of guys and gals are married, now you're persona non grata and all your friends are going to turn their backs on you because now you're the woman who's going to be looking for my man. And all of a sudden now you got new friends and now you're going through depression. And, and I can write this story a thousand times over. And you know what it is? It's simple forecasting. I mean, you're really good at forecasting. I think I've taught you how to, and, and the big thing in forecasting is variable change, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, what, what is variable change? It's not just the movie 21, but what is variable change? Well, I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, and, and from the way I view it in my, in my little brain is just what, what are the chances that things are going to change over time? What, what are the chances that your variables are actually going to, going to change? What's, what is important to focus on versus what isn't, what has a bigger impact over time and then, you know, the likelihoods. I mean, a good example is, you know, it's, it's the topic on, on the top of my mind every day is, you know, this uh, situation, this war in Ukraine. You know, the Russians did not, the, the, the element of variable change that they obviously did not take into account is one, how many of our spies are going to be found out and they actually know about and are they watching and they're feeding us really bad information. And two, uh, over the past eight years, have have these people become resilient and uh, not even resilient, but, but experts in being able to counter our strategies? Have our strategies evolved with them knowing what we are going to do in mind? You know, it's the whole, I know that you know that I know that you know. It's like, is that taken into account? No, it wasn't. It was planning by committee. It was whatever. And they did not take into account the reality that eight years of preparation for the advancement of a conflict that, again, has been going on for eight years. You guys just sat back and rested on your laurels because, oh, well, we well, we beat we, we beat their ass eight years ago, so we'll do it again. And we have, you know, we're, we're the big, mighty uh, military. Well, obviously, that's uh, you didn't account for the variable change that they're going to shift their tactics as time goes on because they don't want to further become the victim. I think a, a good example of variable change is what you and I did in the very beginning of the uh, Russian-Ukrainian war. You and I both thought for a long, long time that the Russians were far more superior than what we now believe they are. And yeah. I do not view that as egg on my face. I'm, no. I'm not the head of NSA, uh, but what I think we would both agree is that the world has now learned that the United States is one big mofo when it comes to military, intelligence, capabilities. We've been infiltrating things for a long time. And you know what? When we get and say we're done, we're done and we have allies. And look at what's happening in Western Europe. I mean, Russia is looking down the barrel of a gun right now. They know that. Yeah. And and I mean, it's obvious because that's why they throw around the, they throw around the, the, uh, <laughs> 
The N-word? The N-word, yes. Yeah, well, that would be nuclear, not something yes, else. Yes, not yes. no. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The new the but, new N-word yeah. is nuclear. I like that. We might be able to get, get something going. That the new N-word is nuclear, yes. Yeah. So, But they, they keep throwing that around. You know, it's, it's less recently than it was a couple weeks ago. But, you, you know, that's one of the reasons I think a lot of the pressure, uh, the rhetoric on, on the West part has been very calm and collected. And we're just, we're, we're the adults in the room and we are not going to reciprocate with equal ridiculous threats. It's like, okay, yes, we know that the, the baby is very angry. The child in preschool is very upset that his friends picked on him. Yep, yep, yep. You, know, you have to be the adult in the room. And um, well, the, the adult in the room knows that a nuclear war is not a war that will end civilization. They know a, a, a man or woman of, of knowledge and expertise and experience knows that yeah, you do that, you will be literally annihilated. Not decimated you're not going to lose 10. We're going to annihilate you. And while we may get decimated, we may lose 10%. You will not exist. And that's the reality now. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, too many people, I think, in the, in, in the West in general, have this just still Cold War era irrational fear of nuclear anything. I mean, a good example is like, uh, you know, organizations going back to the, I guess, what, 60s, 70s, like the Sierra Club and people like that, where they effectively, you know, turn the public opinion against all nuclear technology because nuclear bombs bad and of course now the green people and the Sierra Club is you know regarded as uh, you know a, a green organization right right but people fail to see the reality that the, those organizations were being funded by big oil oh so it's oh, funny wait a minute you you mean to tell me that there's espionage and there's manipulation of the press not just by nations but also by companies no no so you know there's a lot of money that was funneled through NGOs non-governmental organizations charities uh, interest groups Groups, whatever. And you know, when you say the NGOs, everybody, oh, NGOs are so wonderful, blah, blah, blah. I mean, some are some, and some are bad. I mean, it's, it's no different than anything else. But so, you know, some of these organizations had lots of money funneled into them because, you know, nuclear nuclear proliferation, proliferation is bad and we need non-nuclear proliferation organizations and all this stuff and we need to protest against it. And it's like, well, that's true. Nuclear bombs are bad and scary. Nuclear technology is amazing. I mean, you know, the amount of medical science and, and, and and energy that can be, and, and among other things, from nuclear technology is huge. Um, but a lot of these things have gotten a very bad rap among a lot of people because of, you know, basically just because of lobbying. So it's funny because, you know, when you have a longer historical perspective and you see people who are very uh, excited about, you know, reducing carbon footprint and being green and, and all of these things, you know, reducing the influence and, and amount of uh, petrochemicals used and everything, they fail to see the very simple reality reality, it's like, well, we could have had this like 40 years ago, but everybody got scared of nukes. And the reality is, is uh, nuclear technology has advanced amazingly in, in the past 60 years to the point where a lot of the problems that you have with existing nuclear facilities would be fixed if there was the, uh, if there wasn't the crazy amount of um, regulation and government, uh, not even oversight really, because you need it, but um, I guess uh, meddling where these plants could be upgraded in an efficient and, and cost effective manner you know it's 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 an interesting problem to see because you know the technology has marched on not as 
quickly as it could have if there was the same amount of investment in it. But at the same time, it's still way better than the old stuff. The problem is because of the regulation and all this and, and, and a, a lack of uh, willingness by energy companies, really, because they're focused on profits and the government didn't force them to do stuff like, you know, put aside a certain amount of money every year for the, you know, uh, rebuilding or reclamation of the sites and all of these things. Instead, you know, it's going to eat into people's profits and it's a whole nightmare. But anyways, point is, is that, you know, we could be there. The, you know, good examples like the, I remember when the- well, How many times have I talked about nuclear energy and hydrogen hand in hand? Yeah. I mean, and, it, and I literally, it's like, I might as well just spit into the wind. So many people like, oh, come on, that's never going to happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, with every transfer of energy into a new medium, like there's going to be- And I do predict that's going to take off. The, the, well, it, it has to. It, well, it, it has to come up. But yeah, I mean, if you if, if with every transfer of, of energy into a different medium, you know, there's going to be energy loss, obviously. Like you can't do something for free uh, unless, you know, you talk to somebody that believes in like, uh, I can't remember what it's called, uh, perpetual motion devices and those people are loons. <laughs> Um, Perpetual motion devices do not exist, folks. But yeah, we've all we've. If if you're well traveled, everybody's met a perpetual motion man. Do you remember our electrician? Yes, who, yes, that's exactly what I'm referring to. Everybody thinks they've they've they can invent that. I think he's dead. Wouldn't surprise me. He admitted he's been electrocuted more times than he can count. Um. Anyways, so yeah, so there's uh nuclear energy is is a constant, right? It's a constant. I mean, it's it's slowly decreasing because you know half life and all that stuff. But it's a constant source of energy. So. So if you're not using it all the time, it's a waste, right? So with the addition of like battery technology, obviously you can soak a certain amount of that extra use. Obviously with the plants, you can ramp them down, but it's still waste because, you know, you're not using optimal or maximum capacity. Um, anyways, the, yeah, if you're turning water and effectively excess energy at a nuclear power plant into hydrogen, well, that becomes a, a very cost effective and very efficient, um, basically store of energy. Now you take hydrogen and now you you can maybe ship it to a city that only has a hydrogen power plant instead of having lots of uh, expensive batteries or building yet another power facility where you lose you know power over transmission lines and things like you know there's a there's a certain loss over distance and there's all these problems you have to take into effect well maybe now you can build a hydrogen power plant that's going to be way simpler way you know it's you know it's super environmentally friendly and now you have a regional distribution of hydrogen for smaller more uh, local power plants that are again safer and generally speaking uh, a lot more environmentally friendly. So there's things like that. There's a lot of solutions to these that you don't hear anybody talk about because, you know, the technology is tainted. And, you know, if it wasn't for the war in Ukraine, you know, the, I guess, realization that nuclear power is, is really one of the only solutions that we have that fits into this new paradigm we're in, right? It's got to be green, low carbon footprint, blah, blah, blah. Well, there's only one option. Like we can get all excited about tidal, uh, you know, power generation or, um, you know, windmills and solar, but but all of that has, from my estimation, um, neutral or even in some cases negative carbon footprint. Like it costs more in carbon emissions to make these things. Just just and pure pure battery production. That's oh, the thing. It's terrible. It's, I, I I I've had several I would call firm conversations where I don't get angry. I simply say I appreciate what you're saying that everybody should be on batteries. But you realize that's got to be one of the dumbest things on the face of the earth because you're never going to be able to mine with anything other than what a gas diesel powered engine. You cannot get the torque long term on these things. We've talked about this for but we're not there yet. The well, point being is you're you're efficiency. stripping you're stripping the, the the our world. Well yeah. There's only so much of these basic raw materials that are out there and we're just raping the world. And, and well, yeah. you're you're saying, "Oh, it's all green." No, you're black. I'm green. 
Well, yeah, that's exactly the thing. Like, if 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 being green means that we're going to strip mine the South American jungles, then my position is then that's stupid. Yeah, I'm I'm ready um, to take up arms and things like that. I really am. The yeah. Amazon is being just raped by people it, who claim to be green. But it's not just there. I mean, it's 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 the jungles in Asia. It's obviously like we've done. We did. We already did it to America. And now it's like orangutans and palm oil. Exactly. It's all that stuff. So stop buying palm oil based products, well, folks. Indonesia ended all exports so well they did i did not know that yes they ended all exports because they they have their own domestic food security problems like everybody else is dealing with good so you know big uh, big food manufacturing is going to have to go back to other sources in the long term but um anyways yeah so just to kind of finish up my little my little point here is just that you know things aren't always what they seem you know you have to look beyond the propaganda and obviously like most of these people you know talking about these things they're probably well-meaning like that's that's one thing that you know when you look at people who are um I let's say into more extremist, you know, politics and things on either side of the spectrum. You have to take into account that a lot of these people are just, you know, they can't see beyond the nose on their face. They have some of these people may have good intentions on things, like you know, like the green stuff, but they're just they're not they're not well read or they can't see the big picture on the simple reality that like okay, yeah, that looks good on paper, but these batteries only last like at most maybe six to nine years before you have to replace them because the efficiency is you know you're going to be getting 20 percent of the charge on your tesla right yep so then what happens uh you replace the battery pack you know oh it's not that bad i only have to pay a couple thousand dollars it's like okay well but what do they do with the old ones oh they have to remanufacture them and they need new this and you got got to take the total cost exactly from 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 the very beginning when the the shovel goes in the ground to when it's 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 real simple to me it's biblical ashes to ashes and dust to dust start with the entire cycle and tell me what the real cost is yeah so you know when you look at that type of stuff what does it actually look like and in my view it's 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 crap um you know i think the most optimal solution if you really wanted to have the best best carbon footprint is electric motors obviously are better mm-hmm. uh, than, than gas duh but so you have electric motor powered and you're you have you have a hydrogen fuel cell like that's the thing that makes the most sense when you're when you're looking at it all okay yeah you gotta have some batteries but you don't need very many you just need enough to uh, be able to get get everything started and moving and then it's it's gonna charge the battery for some amount of like optimization kind of like a like a, a prius does you know except it's you know but you're running a hydrogen fuel cell for power instead of having a massive battery bank um obviously hydrogen can be made anywhere as long as you have you can as long as you can supply electricity and water so, so we got a lot of water uh, in the world and uh see we can get the energy by doing what again yeah nuclear power nuclear power yeah so there's a lot of options out there you know now now when you're talking from beyond all that there's only one major problem in this entire thing if you were to shift to to something like this um the problem is really simple everything around us the paint on your walls probably the speakers that this sound is emanating from if you're listening to this the screens the cars the, the 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 casing on the battery that goes in the tesla the handles everything you look and touch at the some of the medicine some of the medication you take um you know the air filtration devices the hoses that go for your air conditioner because if you're in florida it has been very hot the past couple days um on and on and on i mean we can you know it's what's it, it all made out it's of all made out of petrochemicals it's all plastic or 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 so you're never going to get rid of oil so the problem that i see in the long term is okay let's say we're super successful at making you know nuclear and hydrogen based uh reinvention of the energy economy 
them in the West, which obviously we're the only ones that are going to be able to do it because one, we care, and two, we have the money to do it. Everybody else is just going to do whatever's cheaper and puts more money in the warlord's pocket. But And we're smarter. Our country is way more smarter than most well, places. It's just the but, way it is. But it, but it also comes down to caring because like our people, oh, are, our people are irrationally motivated by this, even though we're, we're, we've made amazing strides in, in the you know eco-environmental uh, yeah, and that's And that's not to demean, I mean, the, the Finnish, the Swedish, the Germans, the English, there's a lot of folks out there, oh, you know, they're very, same, very sensitive to this. So there's same a, as us. I mean, yeah, there's a commonality there of, of, of actually caring about things, not just lip service. Yeah, and, and you look at like, uh, you know, just pollution in general, going back, you know, 50 years, like the West in general has uh, largely due to deindustrialization, but also due to um, the, the ind- industry that we do have, we've spent a lot of money to make it cleaner. As opposed to India that has been crapping up the, the oceans, my oh, God, it, 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 that is the just... Pollution un- from, oh. The pollution from China and India is atrocious. But so anyways, all you who are green, why don't you just focus on them for a while? Anyways, go ahead, Polly. Legitimately, like if you wanted to make the biggest impact, if you were super, if you cared about this so much, the biggest impact you could do on carbon emissions and, and pollution is honestly figure out how to get manufacturers primarily, because that's who's doing this, in China and India. How do you get them to become cleaner and more environmentally friendly? I could do it. I could do that it. would have a bigger impact on anything. I could do it tomorrow. That you could do in the West. And, the, and, and what's funny is because like there's a lot you could do in, in the grand scheme of things, but it wouldn't have an impact if these people are still polluting. I mean, it's it's no different than the you know the same kind of argument you get with people where um, somebody's like, well, I mean, what's the point in voting? Because if I vote, then somebody else is just going to cancel my vote out, and it doesn't matter. It's like a you know a husband and wife that disagree on everything, so they don't they just they just decided not to vote because they cancel each other's vote out, right? That sort of that sort of logic. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't vote, but the point is is that it shows you the problem, the conundrum that you have is you need to expand your realm of influence beyond you know the 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 one thing you have control. What, what, uh, when I when I say this, don't laugh and don't get offended. But here's here, the solution is real easy. Nuke them. Oh, okay, yeah. No, no. I mean, no, so seriously, we've talked about this. I'm, I'm reading some really great books about how you know mankind, humankind, whatever you want to call us, people kill each other, people fight. This is not, well, of course, yeah. on an individual basis, on a group basis. So if yeah, China be, and it, India continue to shit up the the earth to the point where it's like affecting everybody, if they won't change, well then get rid of them. Well, yeah, the, I mean, now, I know that is really radical. Obvi- obviously, genocide is always on the table. And genocide is on the table. Just look at Ukraine. You know, Russians are genociding Ukrainians. So apparently that's a, that's an allowable thing in the international So community. when is genocide justifiable? Is it justifiable for the, the to save the world? And is that what other people are saying when they want to have population control? I mean, there's a... Oh, yeah. There's, you see where I'm going with that. Yeah, well, we're not going to turn this into a philosophy hour. But um, but to get to my point about plastic <laughs> oh, and, and petrochemicals, um, you know, the problem is, is, okay, if you're super successful in reducing the amount of petrochemicals used in everything... Or, or in, in energy, right? Well, the problem then is you don't have as many byproducts. And if you know anything about the petrochemical industry, you know that there's, a, depending on the grade of oil and all of the complications that are involved in all of that, you can have a lot of byproducts. And, a lot, and that's the, the real innovation that the Rockefellers figured out was they could create these big, complicated plants and they could they could basically merge all of these different industries at the time into one big oil production corporation. And then you would have these additional products that would don't, come out of distillation. Don't throw the waste away. Exactly, and that's where you know we got we got all kinds we got all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, obviously, like I said, I mean, you know, now you have you have petrochemical byproducts that are in everything. It's in the paint in your walls. It's in you know you're wearing your polyester uh, shirt because you know you just went golfing and it's hot out. Um, you know, you've got you know your shoes. Just everything around you, you're touching petrochemicals all day, every day. You just don't know it, or you try to forget about it. So 
you know, it, it's it's a it's a thing. Is so if you have the production of these chemicals byproducts and it goes way down, what does that mean? Well, that means that in general, the amount of consumables out there is either going to decrease or they're and they're going to increase in price dramatically. Or, or supply and demand and inflation, just exactly. like we have right now. Exactly. So then you know you kind of look at it from a different perspective. Like, well, is that good? I mean, generally speaking, some people would say yes, but is it good for the overall economy if you're focusing on the bottom dollar? No, that's really 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 bad. Um, you kind of get the point. Is that you know the uh, the discovery and 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 effective utilization of oil is which is you know effectively the most uh, easily transportable um, source of, of energy that we have on the planet at least uh, you know that's safe safe safest and easily transportable let's say it's one of the greatest discoveries and it's propelled us forward all the way forward from a time where computers weren't a thing to now they're in everybody's pocket um, but everybody has to kind of be cognizant of the very simple reality that it's it's all propelled forward by one little weird commodity and everything springs off of that you know years ago you used to have these people who would say things like we're going to run out of oil the earth will be out big oil big, big oil. oil gone and i've always like oh i used to get angry and say oh shut up i'm so sick of this now i just like smile and like i just yeah right here's the thing ladies and gentlemen boys and girls you're never going to run out of anything because there's always something left over and it becomes a rare item and you know what only those with real serious coin will be able to afford the rare item yes that's all there is to it now what the problem is is then people make these big leaps oh yeah but the dinosaurs extinct the dodo birds extinct you're you are making a correlation is the, an assuming is the, causation that doesn't it, it doesn't connect is the dodo bird a commodity bingo <laughs> bingo 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 so here's the thing one of the things that you have and i don't do this but you you and a lot of your tech people you do a lot of gaming or rust and relaxation right i mean Somet gaming yeah sometimes i right. guess it depends on the so, some of it can be stressful and sometimes you just avoid it all entirely but yeah i mean it's it's a thing it's a thing that can be fun okay so in there you've taught me about these this thing that is now politically incorrect to say but i don't care because it's my podcast it's yours the npcs non-player characters right yeah, yeah. And, and npcs well the problem is we have a tremendous number of people in the world who are npcs i don't care that people don't like it they don't have an internal monologue they cannot connect the dots they cannot think things through and i'm going to give you a classic example this is not this is dad talking to you now back in 1960 uh, richard nixon was the vice president of the united states under eisenhower and i was around back then and you had a fellow oh he was a young guy he was good looking it was jack kennedy well jack kennedy and richard nixon were basically the same age and they were both u.s senators and nixon became vice president uh kennedy came from money nixon did not make a long story short they used to actually be friends and they had a debate the last i would say civil debate in the in for president was the kennedy and nixon debates they were they were nice nixon was not the handsome man he looked a little funny he didn't have makeup on and he perspired heavily under the lights and so one of the first i think it was the first presidential televised uh, event well jack kennedy people thought oh he's just beautiful looking oh he's great the women just swooned over him he came across looking fantastic but if you look at the actual just the uh, voice to text the actual text of the thing everybody will say nixon destroyed him he knew exactly yeah. what was going on yeah radio versus television radio yeah. and, and they did those surveys you know and if you listen to radio nixon won if you watched on tv it was overwhelmingly kennedy and that's that's part of this npc thing you know so you're, you're 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 not smart enough to really get it now let me roll forward to 1964 you had a fellow by the name of barry goldwater he's a senator from arizona and barry goldwater wins the nomination for president of the united states now this is when and the only time when in essence you had a libertarian 
libertarian run under the Republican banner. Yeah. Now you've had, uh, what was his name? Uh, Ron Paul. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, Ron Paul. So he was a libertarian. He ran as a Republican and Rand Paul, whatever he is today, I don't uh, know. I don't know what he is. He's a Republican. Whatever he is, I could care and less. Then he whips up a he whips up a libertarian uh, talking point when he wants to make some press. Yeah, red red meat thrower. So so, but Goldwater was a literal libertarian, and Goldwater and Johnson um, were going head to head. Now, this is really important to always remember, and never forget that Goldwater was very seriously considering running for president and anticipated that he would be running against uh, Kennedy. And what I'm telling you is an absolute fact. Kennedy was assassinated. Kennedy knew that Goldwater was going to run. And Kennedy and Goldwater, before he was assassinated... Which Kennedy? John, John F. Kennedy. Okay, okay not not uh, not Robert. But John F. Kennedy and Barry Goldwater agreed that the political process had turned so bad that they were going to literally go across the country together and debate each other and do a whistle-stop tour by way of train. Yeah. Okay. That would have been, and, and in essence, if you think about it, that's kind of like um, the Federal Elections Commission and trying to get a control over all these special interests. They both agreed that that was a problem. Okay. God rest both of their souls. Kennedy, who was killed in Dallas, where I lived at the time, who was in Tampa the day before where I was, worked as a cop. That's why it's called Kennedy Boulevard, et cetera, et cetera. It used yep. to be called Grand Central. Give you a little bit of context there. So here's the thing. Johnson, the vice president, becomes president. He's sworn in, and he now runs for office since 1960. There was one thing that was unbelievably mind-altering in the history of our country that Johnson did, and that was the little girl plucking daisy leaves. It's called the Daisy Commercial, and you know, and then the nuclear bomb goes off, and then it was like, "Who do you want with your finger on?" Blah blah blah. And so everybody was afraid of Goldwater. He got annihilated because he was going to get us into war. And they brought up things like, "Remember MacArthur? MacArthur would have had you know World War Three." And then they trashed Patton. These are all things. Oh, yeah, just the, the lowest level of scumbag politics. So when you want to know where scumbag politics, it goes back way it's back. Always, it's always been that way. It goes back to the very beginning. I mean, I was, there's things I've read about the, um, what is it, the, I can't remember who he ran Lincoln against, Douglas um, even goes back to those days. No, I, I'm, I'm talking about like the Adams election. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, calling each, yelling at each other, calling each other adulterers and, you know. Uh, and some of them were. Uh, adulterers, homosexuals, <laughs> incest. Uh, enjoyers, things like this. It's just like just horrific things. And people have this historical uh, perspective on, oh, everybody was just more civilized back then. It's like, no, I can go back to Rome and, you know, they've they've uncovered, uh, uh, I think it's in Pompeii, um, in some of these areas where they've excavated the, <laughs> they've excavated alleyways and things that were more preserved. And, you know, you have political graffiti on the wall that so-and-so, you know, has sexual relations with animals. It's like, vote, vote for this guy or whatever and it's like yeah well like something keep the donkey bunker out of office <laughs> some things some things literally don't change and you know it's 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 interesting because we've had opportunities in the past to elevate our politics yeah it's never gonna it's and, always gonna be in the gutter and you know but but we can actually look at time periods where they were more elevated yes right and not often but we had times yeah yeah but i mean it's 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 not it's about contrast right it's, i mean you know you can look at anything and you can think it's bad or terrible but then when you look at compared to something else like oh it's pretty good now well, well a, good, a good example is, you know, the context we've talked about with Russia is when you realize 
like 40 million Russians still go to the bathroom in an outhouse. It's like, oh, well, then I guess America ain't so bad. No, 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 no. See, here's the thing. You got to say that again because nobody's going to believe this. 40 million Russians. What's the population of Russia? I think 140. Yeah. So 140 million people, 40 million of them. Yeah, outhouses. Because you wait, can, wait a minute, what's an outhouse? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know people don't a lot. Well, if you don't know, you should Google it. Um, I'm not going to explain, but you know, if you don't have indoor plumbing, you got to go bathroom somewhere. So, <laughs> but yeah, the but you look at how poor most of rural Russia is, and once you understand how poor it is, you realize that oh, well, then that makes sense why you don't have indoor plumbing. Indoor plumbing is expensive. Anybody who's had a water leak or a problem and or has has uh, dealt with that, you understand very quickly. Like oh yeah, well, if I actually have had to live off of a hundred dollars a month, then I having not having indoor plumbing ends up becoming a really rational thing, especially when you live in a house that was built uh, during the um, Bolshevik Revolution, you know, a hundred years ago. So going back to my 1964 uh, example, imagine you're 20 years of age in 1964 and you see this commercial and it has a big impact on you, right? I mean, yeah. so all- it, it had a huge, huge impact on people. So now in the 1980s, 20 years later, you're in your 40s and we want to build nuclear power plants, et cetera, et cetera. And then what happens? We got Three Mile Island, we got Chernobyl. So it just reinstills in you that nuclear power plants are bad. Everybody can't. Which is interesting just from a historical perspective because the uh, Three Mile Island ended up being a no nothing burger. It was just a scare, right? And it taught everybody a lot about protocols. Obviously, this is one thing that people don't really understand is that when you're developing new technologies, like, yeah, unfortunately, bad stuff happens. People die. Uh, catastrophic incidents happen because you have to learn from them. A good example is in the United States, with the United States Navy in particular, um, throughout the 1950s and 60s, we started adding nuclear power plants to submarines and aircraft. And we had a couple incidents, I think two or three uh, losses of, of ships. And it was a huge deal. And guess what? We haven't lost one due to an issue like that since. Because we learn from our mistakes and we change our designs, we change our protocols, and we and we learn, we, again, learn from your mistakes. If you don't learn from your mistakes, you're wasting your time. Colombian challenger. You know, so, exactly. Some people, yeah, so that's a good example. Um, but, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, uh, in, in te the tech industry, you know, motivational talks and stuff about, you know, building businesses and stuff. A lot of people will say things like fail, fail, fail quickly or, or uh, fail often and fail fast or whatever. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and it's funny because it's like there's an element of truth that, that you know, if you, f I guess the, 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 it should be reworded. In my opinion, it should. Um, you, you if Every failure should be learned from, but that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to fail. No, no, no. Yeah. Right? The, yeah. The, the, but the challenger and the, in the, the space shuttle program in general is, is a good example of like, we're doing something that is extremely bleeding edge. Let's try and build a reusable aircraft or, or a spacecraft. But it, the, 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 the design and the necessary requirements to do that turned out to be beyond every rational, uh, it just didn't work. It, it didn't make, it, 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 it was, it was a good idea, but at the end of the day, we needed to develop a different way of doing things. And it took us until Elon Musk to get to the point where, yes, we're going to reuse some parts of it, but unfortunately other parts of it have to be single purpose or require lots of labor to reuse because you're putting a giant rocket behind it. Like there's certain things that just can't be reused and it becomes a huge liability. Obviously, you know, the ability to re-enter the atmosphere has such unbelievable uh, temperatures and forces about the it. The complexity is insane. They use a weird styrofoam thing and it's like, well, that's really cool. It's really neat, but they're made out of little bricks and all these things because of all the manufacturing and the reuse requirements that they designed into it. But at the end of the day, that's what caused what a dozen people to die and billions of dollars to be lost because you made it too reusable. I'm, I'm going to use so. that example that a dozen people died, uh, even go 
go back to the Apollo, the Gemini, all this, and how that people freak out over that. That's not a big deal. And I'm going to tie no, I'm going to tie that to baby formula in just a minute. But I want to finish up with something that. But the point is, is that we learned from those mistakes. We realized that this type of design and this type of thing could we do it again in the future? That's better. Maybe, maybe. But it's going to require a total rethinking on how we do stuff. With SpaceX, it's like, hey, the Apollo program turned out to be extremely reliable and very cost efficient when you considered how much the payload was and how far and how versatile it was. So let's take a standard rocket, which is what we've been using to launch satellites and things like that for what? Ever. The the, the history of, of Western space programs. And let's try and make that reusable. Let's make the most expensive parts reusable. And they figured out how to do it. it. Took a lot of computers and it took, uh, what, a hundred years of technology. And, and it took and, a guy with the balls to say, we're going to do it. It always, it always comes exactly. down to one person. Exactly. It always comes down to some person that has an idea and said, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. We're going to do it. You cannot take that away from Musk, no. Jobs, Gates, even though I can't stand that guy. You can't take it from Bezos. These are people who have said, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. Look that phrase up if you want. Look up, what, is it, what does that mean? So I want to finish this up. <clears throat> so I said you're in your 20s in the 1960s. In the 1980s, we've had these incidents. You're in your 40s. Now in the 00s, what do you got? You're in your 60s. So now you're in your 60s and maybe you're telling your children and grandchildren, oh, nuclear energy is so bad. And you're getting to be an old boomer and you're freaking just letting yourself go and oh it's just terrible now it's the now 20s you're af- now you're afraid of your mortality now you're in your now in your 80s and if here's the thing your entire life you were influenced by one thing and that one thing had such a profound impact on you because you're an npc you're dumber than a sack of rocks you've been going through life without really thinking you went to work you drove your car you went the same way every day you got your pension you got your social security you didn't connect the dots but you're voting and putting dumbasses in office who are doing what? Well, I guess you're right. Well, they, they cater to their constituents. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, in a representative democracy, you know, you want politicians that parrot what their constituents believe. I mean, that's the whole point, right? We're hiring one guy to represent, you know, in the in the olden days, you know, 20,000 people. Now it's what, 750,000 or something, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. But anyways, um, that's the whole point. But the thing is, is the point of their constituents are, were, you know, people that actually, you know, cared and were interested and understood the topics and stuff like that. Today, it seems like, you know, you have a situation of people don't really care, to be honest. And now going back in time, because I, I love doing shaggy dog stuff. Anybody who's listening to this, if you listen to the whole thing, we I, I'm going to tie everything all up together. Here's a key thing. You remember that movie called uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, Hal? At the very end, Hal begins to develop an emotions and I can't believe. And that's a big deal. 2001 Space Odyssey. Yes. And then 2001 came and it was like, um, yeah, it, it didn't. it's not happening. But there was one other 2000 movie. 2000 came and people were worried that ballpoint pens might not work because computers would not know the time. Do you, do you remember uh, <laughs> there was a company called American Title? Was it? Was that what it was? Yes, it was. And they literally issued, go ahead. because Yeah, they issued Y2K preparation materials to all their offices so they could continue to doing business if Y2K took down the power grid and their computers and everything. Things like pencil sharpeners. Yeah, and they sent pencils because ballpoint pens might not work. Not joking. Can't make that stuff up. That's a level of dumb that is difficult to understand. So you had 2001 The Space Odyssey, right? But then there was a movie with Will Smith, you know, Mr. I Slap You because I'm dumber than a sack of rocks. What was that movie called? AI, something like that? Or the uh, iRobot. I, I well, yeah. iRobot. Okay, is it iRobot? Yeah, I think it's based, yeah. Okay, so iRobot. I don't remember the name. Let's go with that. If that was the name of the movie, what did people learn? Robots were everywhere and robots were taking over and robots can think. If you don't think the movies influence people. Oh, oh, massively, massively. So as an investment advisor, as an investment advisory firm here at Fixed Cost Financial, not only do 
we do the quantitative analysis, crunching the numbers, right? And to be very blunt, that's very easy, right? I mean, you and I are fortunate in that. It regard. can be, yes. And and we commoditize everything, and we we leverage our information, and we have our sources, and everybody we have all that. But what's the hardest thing? It's not necessarily the quantitative analysis; it's the qualitative analysis. Always is making sense, and I'm going somewhere. Making sense out of the data. And you talked about the Tesla vehicle going nuts with all the stop signs and everything else. When you were a little boy, and I was a little boy, when you're in college and I'm in college, everybody does this. When you're learning something new, you know what you do? You get tired and you have to t- go to bed. You have to sleep. Your brain has to resort it. This is a natural thing. It's like turning your computer off so it can, it's like defragging. I know that was an old phrase from years ago. Yeah. Sometimes you got to take the old software out, the crap that's not being used. Oh, I'm running out of memory. I'm running out of memory. You got to get the crap out. Garbage in, garbage out. The problem I see is that there are so many old analogies, old phrases. You know, I've used a whole bunch of them here today. Garbage in, garbage out. A lot of people don't know what that means anymore. No. You can only go as fast as the slowest ship. People don't really know that. How many people do you think probably learned for the very first time that, you know, maybe uh, Johnson did influence the negative impact of uh, nuclear energy with his commercial, the Daisy commercial? Absolutely did. Yeah. So if y'all, if y'all don't mind, those of you who meet me, if you, if you just don't mind giving me a little bit more respect for the fact that I know stuff that you don't know because I lived it, I can break yeah. it down into simple things. I'm not going to say Sir Anthony wrote a grand stallion. It's going to be Tony wrote a pony. And when I say Tony wrote a pony, there's a lot of knowledge behind that to get to that point. Point being, there's nothing new. I, I got a lady by the name of uh, Carol Benninger. She's a realtor down in Tampa. She's currently with a company called Lombardo Heights. Sharp lady. You don't know why she's sharp? Her hair is pretty. She does makeup right. She dresses to the nines. She uses uh, Tom James. A lot of people think Tom James only for men's clothing. She has everything tailored. I got this pen from her. Sharp, right? Yes. Remember I sh- showed you that bottle opener for wine and everything else? Yeah, it's clever. Well, uh, um, people still have the need for what? Pen and paper? Yeah, unless the time, some for some reason, the computers fail. Maybe pens might not work. Yeah. <laughs> and people still like to have beer, and sometimes you have to pop the lid of the, it's not all screw off, right? And yeah. wine, you have to do a little corky corky, and even though the corky is being replaced by plastic plastic, oh, another byproduct. Spin tops. Spin tops. Bo- 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 box of box. Box wine. Yeah. <laughs> <Get it. laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. What differentiates her from other people. Let's assume that she dots the I's across the T's. She's very good at what she does, yada, yada, yada. But she has class. She dresses right. She knows how to conduct herself. Those things are never going to change. So you have a company that makes a product, makes a product, right? It works. But how many times have you ordered things where it's like, it, it came to it, like, excuse my French, it was packaged like shit. But when you get something from Apple. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's the experience, right? It's, it's you know, the experience of something is as important as the product. And, you know, just because you have a magical computer that has more power than anything in the world. If it's running some and, and it's running and is customized for some obscure variant of Linux and you use Windows, it's useless to you, right? Yep. Whereas like an iPhone, like you're saying, you know, the opening of the box and the how it's packaged and how easy it is and, you know, you, you know it's got the little pull tabs so you pull it out and then it peels the little pr- protective coating or, or plastic off of the uh, screen in the back. Like that whole experience, like how, how nicely the plastic peels off, you know, the glue or the, um, uh, the adhesive they use on the plastic 
music. Like there's uh, probably dozens or hundreds of hours that went in just in choosing which which adhesive they would use because if it pulls off and it like makes all kinds of noises and it's hard and it leaves a residue behind, that sucks. <laughs> I don't want to get a new thing and have to clean it immediately. But we've all gotten things that have that exact problem, right? Exactly. Um, you know, so it, it's, but the point is it's the experience, you know, in, in the case of like real estate, um, you are going to part with a large sum of money and or uh, enslave yourself to a tremendous amount of debt to acquire a piece of property. You want to feel good about it. So you want to deal with somebody that's confident and knows what they're doing. We've all dealt with somebody, especially in real estate, who is an absolute idiot who basically just wants to make sure, you know, they get your signature, your John Hancock on the dotted line, and they want to get their commission as soon as possible and they don't care. On the other hand, we've all had, you've had experiences where something wasn't done quite right and they'll send a contractor out even after the sale's done to make sure everything's done just right because they want to make sure the experience is good from you and maybe they'll be able to sell another expensive thing to you again in the future. Oh yeah, I mean, and then that's the thing that's always amazed me. You know, uh, I ask you this question and it, this is not big man on campus. I use this example of the other day. How many people, not for business, this is important, not for business, for personal, how many people go out and buy two brand new S-Class 550 Mercedes uh, for Christmas? Uh, few. Yeah, we were told like we're, you're, there's only a handful of you in the country. And yeah, we I know that. So. Okay, the salesman for that thing was a complete ass. He never followed up with a damn thing. And nope. that's one of the reasons I will never go to Gainesville Mercedes ever again because the follow-through sucks. Now, I can tell you the follow-through for the Mercedes dealership in Tampa on Del Mabry, unbelievable. Yes, they actually know what they're doing. I mean, how many times I call yeah. you on the phone and said, you're not going to well, believe this. But, but think about the difference. Like, you have the ability to either have it picked up or flatbedded to Gainesville, yeah. which is, what, a 30-minute drive up the interstate from where we're at? It's not, mm -hmm. not that far. And they're like the first stop on, you know, so they're easy to get to. But they are such a pain in the ass. If anybody from there is listening, just remember you suck. Your organization has sucked for 30 years. One good experience, 10 bad. It's 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 absolutely atrocious. And there's no way to downplay how bad it is. I've never had a problem with the mechanics, sir. I'm going to make it really no, clear. No. That has always been spot on. No, it's just, it's management. And it's, yep. it's communication capabilities. It's coordination and scheduling. It's attitude. That's the biggest one. The biggest one by far has got to be attitude. Meanwhile, you're down in Tampa a lot. So it makes makes sense. Okay, well, I'll go a little bit out of my way. And you have not had a bad experience there. Well, like the, which, the, which is which is phenomenal because every time you've uh, as you've transitioned to going to Tampa to the Tampa Mercedes dealership, every single time it's been to correct a problem in the beginning. Anyways, one was they couldn't get glass because your windshield had a crack in it. Like just incompetence about that. It's one thing if you don't have it available. It's another thing if you can't even tell you like a brief like timeline. When can I expect it? Right. Um, one was camera. There were there were several other things that were just like really really dumb. Oh yeah, you the first time you had the glass replaced because you've had a, a several windshields because uh, you had the good luck on that one. In the state of Florida, we enjoy a lovely little state law where your insurance carrier for your uh, vehicle insurance pays for, they require the insurance company to have a zero deductible uh, special insurance to replace windshields. So if, in, if you have a broken windshield, you get it replaced for free. Yeah, no, you have insurance. no cost, no replacement, just pure replacement. And right? it doesn't affect your insurance like uh, policy. Either. Yeah, it's, that it's, happens. It's not a claim. It's right. a, it's a, it's a impactless claim with no deductible. It's, it's a very nice thing. And just so you guys know, I don't Baja the Mercedes and, and, and uh, <laughs> not on dirt roads. So, uh, but that's, so that's a nice thing that people in Florida enjoy. So, you know, you should never see somebody with a broken windshield for very long. That's just the reality of it. Good indication. And as a cop, no insurance. Exactly. And that's a requirement according to state law as well. So yes. Um, point being is that these dealerships, uh, you know, the more expensive and more advanced cars, they have like a little electronics package in the upper part of the glass that looks through. It's got cameras and sensors and all kinds of stuff, the LIDAR and whatever. Well, they need to be installed by the dealership because they have to recalculate.
recalibrate all those really expensive electronics, right? Well, so you take it to the dealership. Oh, well, you, we, you have to pay because, you know, we, we don't, we can't submit it to your insurance. It's like uh, going and getting a surgery from a hospital and them saying, oh, well, you, we require payment up front because we don't do the insurance thing. Or, or we'll put the pacemaker I mean, in, but then afterwards, do you really want to have it tuned to fit your heart rate? <laughs> well, exactly. It's just, it's just dumb. And, and, and what's even funnier about that is then the, the issue then becomes, then the insurance company scrutinizes your claim instead of the dealership doing it. Right. 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 So then it's, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, I mean, imagine paying like a medical bill, for example, $100,000 for some, you know, procedure. And then you're the one that's going to get shortchanged because, oh, well, we don't cover this and we only pay X number of dollars for Tylenol and whatever. You know, it's just, it's dumb. Like it just makes no sense. That should just be part of your process, right? You do, you do repairs, you submit it. It's a huge part of your business. The insurance is required to pay dollar for dollar. They don't scrutinize you because you're a big dealership. You have all this uh, special protection and regulation that protects you and keeps you. Basically, these guys refuse to submit the paperwork to the insurance company. That's really what it came down to. They were lazy. You take it to Tampa and they're like, oh yeah, we do this all the time. We know how to deal with them. It's not a big deal. It's well, like, you know, what, look, look at the experience difference. You get shoved with, you know, what is, what was, I, if I recall, like a $4,000 bill that you're going to get reimbursed on, but it's, you know, now you have all this work to do. You have to submit it to the insurance. You got to track it. it. Took two months for the insurance company to cut a check. You know, we're fortunate enough. We can deal with that. That's not a big deal. But for normal people, I mean, imagine having to do that as a normal person because you have a car that has a weird sensor or something in the window. And now you got to write a check to your dealer for like two grand. That would suck. Yep. But these guys, they understand that like nobody wants to do that. It sucks. They're there to do this for you. And that's just part of the cost that they charge. The point is, is just those are all parts of the experience. And when you do it right, people will be raving fans. I wouldn't talk about the people in Tampa if everybody acted like this. But even among Mercedes dealer and service centers, obviously that is not something that everybody cares about. So you get this disparity in service. So now you will go out of your way and go to Tampa to get your car serviced. Like, yeah, that's just how it works. And the th- you know, the thing is a person can have the greatest thing since white sliced bread, the next great widget. But if you can't deliver and explain it, it it's the widget that was lost. Exactly. The history. There's, there's a couple of people that I've, I've recently had some conversations with. I want to call out. One is a fellow by the name of Chris. Chris, now you know this, but most people, I belong to a bunch of different country clubs and clubs all around. So it's been a thing that I've done for years. And th- the reason for it is when you go to a club or a club network, you tend to get better. You tend to know what the service and quality is going to be. Yeah, usually. Uh, one of the clubs I belong to, the the, the, the interior has just gone to hell in a handbasket. It's just, it's terrible. And I've, I've got to reevaluate whether I'm even going to go there anymore. But but there's a gentleman by the name of Chris. I'm not going to give his last name. Chris is a membership director at a place called the University Club in Tampa. And the University Club, thank you very much for having me. I feel like a little bit like Groucho Marx. If you would have me, maybe you shouldn't, uh, maybe you're not up to par, but it's the old joke anyways. But the point being is this guy is so, he's completely first class. I mean, he is, he is creme de la creme. But when you go into the University Club, it's a lot like the movie trading places with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. It's, you know, it's done right. It's quiet. You don't have people b- loud. You don't have phones. There's a, a dress code. It's, you're you're going there for the way it's, now, the food, the chef, unbelievable. But you know what? It's still salad. It's still water. It's still coffee. It's still beef. But everything's on fine china. It's done right. It's the experience. They dot the I's, they cross the T's. It's not dusty. And everybody who works there is in like, I, I call it modified 
glorified tux. I mean, they look good. Yeah. And they know your name. I mean, exactly. every, I, mean I, I like, I like, I don't, you know, when they, you say Mr. Truesdale, I turn around looking for my dad. You know, it's like, it's that old joke, but what, it's always the same thing. You walk in, they drill for skill, just like the Four Seasons. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's the first thing I thought of. When, when we were down in Nevis, I mean, folks that had a, you know, English is definitely a second language and the English they're going to use is very British, but they pronounced our name, you know, literally you walk. I, I never forgot this. I never will. We were walking down uh, a sidewalk and we were going to our cabana wherever we were at. And, and, uh, the gardener, the guy was doing some weeds, planting some flowers or whatever. And he stood up and stood off the side. He didn't need to do that. I felt I, I'm still that, you know, come on, you know, I'm not the president of the United States, but he stood up and he said, good afternoon, Mr. Truesdale, Mrs. Truesdale. And just, it was just, I never saw the guy before, but he knew exactly how to say our name. Yeah. It was that attention to detail is amazing. So Chris is, I mean, I got to tell you, it's just amazing. I'll tell you something, another, another group of, there's a company called Empire Office. Remember me telling you a little bit about yes. that? Yeah. So Empire Office, what they do is they take metal, they take wood and they take dead animals mm. and they, they do different configurations and well, they really don't do it. They get people that take metal, wood and dead animals and all that and they turn into furniture. Mm, yes. And these folks know that it is a really class operation. There's two people there I want to call out. Jay, I call him Jay Bird. This guy is amazing. If you ever want a guy who is the connector and can put things together, and then Terry, who runs the place, oh my God, he's my brother from another mother. Uh, just uh, we're both the same age. He's Irish. We had a good time yesterday. So he's a he's a he's a good cat. So yeah, from what you've mentioned, he's uh, definitely a kindred spirit. Yes, we had a we had a little bit of the Guinness on uh, yesterday afternoon, and I found me a, I found me a neat place, my man. When we go down there next, I'm going to be taking you to the greens. <laughs> Sounds good. I had a waiter, by the way, at, uh, this is cool. I had a waiter at uh, the pub uh, over at International Mall or whatever they call it. And uh, he waited on me and, and he's got this accent. And I said, uh, huh. I said, uh, where are you from? He said, well, where do you think? And I, I, I checked this out. I said, well, there's Irish and Scotch. And I'm, I'm trying to debate where you're at. And he goes, that's amazing, mate. I was dealing with, yesterday was all Irish. He says, that's amazing. He says, my dad is Irish. My mother's Scottish. I never, you guessed it. <laughs> So how you like that? That was pretty cool. And then, uh, and then there's Carol and Bob. But uh, yeah, Carol, God, it's just she, what a class. If you need somebody in real estate, let me know. I mean, she's got her. You got her prefer build together. I mean, that's 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 my realtor. Whatever whatever we buy down in Tampa, that's that's what we got to do. It's no doubt about it. But I also have lost my. Remember, I, you're talking about process and procedures and being. So I, I'll tell a quick story. Yesterday, I told everybody down in Tampa that I got down on. Uh, I get, left here early in the morning on Tuesday and put everything in the car because I drove and uh, I was talking on the phone. I had a deal that I was putting together and you know, we're not going to talk about that. But the bottom line is uh, I left my garment bag on the bed. Oops. Yep. Uh, so I had uh, shoes, I had underwear, I had all my toiletries, everything was set. I had all my uh, work bags and everything in there. Yeah, no suit. I, I went when uh, I went with because uh, because of what I was doing in the morning I just had a polo shirt on and, and a pair of slacks and then went all day because it was it was a soft day uh, all the people I was meeting and in a golf day and all that kind of stuff but I get the get all done I go to the hotel drop everything down and I huh no garment bag so I went back downstairs huh thought I'd grab that I literally couldn't believe that God am I developing dementia what the hell <laughs> I, and I did son I sat down on a chair and went what the hell? I never do stuff like that but I got tied up on a phone call we're putting a, a 
big real estate deal together and out in the West Coast, one thing led to another. And yeah, well, I mean, you're preoccupied. That's why it's important to do checklists. I yeah, I blew and it. Some some people know that they forget things, and uh, or or if you just don't do things that often, I know some people are are very um, dedicated to their checklists, and they will put one together for everything. So if I go for international travel. What do I need? Ding 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 ding. Make sure you got it all. Got yeah, I kind of got it down to a routine, but I just let it lay there and just and and uh, so I had to go to uh, a place by uh, near the Center Club, uh, Kennedy and West Shore. What's the name of the place? Uh, Joseph Bank. Joseph Bank. Joseph Bank, yeah. And walked in and told them what I had. Boy, they took care of me. So if you, that's uh, the second time I've had that happen. <laughs> Thank you to the Four Seasons uh, next to the Capitol in D.C. for taking care of me back in the 90s. Thank you to Joseph Bank for taking care of me now in, uh, in Tampa. So I just went in and said, okay, I'll take that, 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 that. <laughs> One, two, three, got it done. They, they, I was in and out in 15 minutes. Probably one of the bigger sales they made. Uh, anyways, done. Yeah, well, part of do, life. Got to do what you got to do. Okay, we covered a bunch of topics. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. One and all, we're going to get out of here. Anything of any parting words before we get out of here, Polly? Oh, no, I think I've said my piece for today. You said your piece. I've said my piece. We're out of here. Tasawega, Sin Mignano. Gone. Bye. The Paul Truesdale Podcast is sponsored in part by Fixed Cost Financial, a registered investment advisor. Fixed Cost Financial, where investing is done right. Visit FixedCostFinancial.com, that's FixedCostFinancial.com. The Paul Truesdale Podcast is also sponsored in part by Lie Die Today. Intelligently protecting your most precious assets. Visit LieDie.today, that's LieDie.today, you'll be glad you did. The Paul Truesdale Podcast is also sponsored in part by the estate planning, elder law, and asset protection planning law firm of attorney Kelly and Truesdale. Visit truesdale.net, that's truesdale.net for more information. The Paul Truesdale Podcast website is paultruesdale.com, that's paultruesdale.com.